with, that kind of sounds like a disclaimer, but it's not. Uh, I want to start with this. Social media is not evil. No matter what you've heard, no matter what you've experienced, social media is not evil. People do evil things, and sometimes they use social media to accomplish it. But social media is not evil. You might hear me say that a few more times this morning. Likes, retweets, reblogs, reposts, hearts, thumbs up, favorites, posting to your board, a host of lesser knowns. I'm just going to generically refer to all of these things as likes, kind of in quotes, not to target any social media platform, but just to be able to communicate this morning. Well, likes, retweets, reposts, etc., 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 what do these things have in common? They're all responses to social media content. In other words, things you put out there for your network. <clears throat> So what do they mean? They mean different things to different people. So let me just give you some examples. To businessmen, it's probably a new concept to some of you that businessmen are interested in your likes. Uh, to businessmen, likes are a measure of the success of their branding. To advertisers, likes are research tools. To marketing companies, likes are a gold mine of data about individual consumers. If you have any doubt about that, I want to run a definition past you. Who here knows what an Instagram influencer is? What's an Instagram influencer? Nobody knows? This is a big deal out there. You should. Google it just to see what's going on. Um, according to Pixley, which is a marketing firm, an Instagram influencer, influencers are Instagram users who have an established credibility and audience who can persuade others by virtue of their, this is my addition here, apparent, okay? who can persuade others by virtue of their apparent trustworthiness and authenticity. Your brand's influencers are users that employ your brand hashtag who have the largest number of followers. In other words, it's about business. It's about marketing. You might think that it's about keeping in touch with Aunt Lucy. And it might be from your perspective, but there are other perspectives, and we need to be aware of them. Likes give a measure of validation to a product or a service uh, by telling the seller of that product or service what people think about it. 
It's feedback for companies. Likes are motivated, are, are motivational. Likes are motivational in that they direct companies about their products, how to develop and maintain their products, and focus them on receptive markets. Likes are a measurement of the level to which a product or service engages those who purchase it. So basically, if you like something, I mean in real life, you enjoy it, then you're likely to go online and like it. Likes indicate the extent of the reach that a product has in the greater marketplace. How far does it go? What kind of people are engaged in it? So you see likes are an important tool for business. They're also a huge source of revenue for social media companies. Here's how it can work. Likes give a measure of validation to a product or service. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just getting used to trying this out because the printer didn't work and I would normally have this in paper form. But uh, Okay, here's how uh, likes can be a source of revenue to social media companies. Social media companies can gather huge amounts of information about specific users by collecting their likes and analyzing them. Then the company can sell the information to advertising agencies, and those advertising agencies can tailor-make ads that appeal to specific users, and then pay the social media company to deliver those ads to specific users. It can be a form of manipulation because advertisers can use, and they often do use, psychologists in order to identify felt needs in specific consumers and then they custom make contents or advertisements to appeal to the psychological needs or weaknesses. It's marketing. It's advertising. It's been that way forever. I want to remind you that social media is not evil. <clears throat> But yeah, it can be analyzing likes and forming advertisements to target certain users can be a form of manipulation uh, because it appeals to psychological needs or weaknesses. It can be more than creating desire. It can bypass reasoning and go right to emotional <coughs> desires. Right to Emotional desires or weaknesses that people don't necessarily know they have. Whoever heard of clickbait? Few people here know what clickbait is. Clickbait is a form of marketing. Uh, the same thing is true about clickbait as likes. Um, you know what clickbait is? It's those little things at the bottom of a, a web page that uh, say certain things that might interest you and they tempt you to click on them. <clears throat> you know, those little statements like, uh, see what such and such an actor looks like today. See what drivers in your home state know about insurance that you don't know. 
See how this mom controls her children's tantrums. And they often have pictures that have nothing to do with what it says. Because the same people who put those catchy little things at the bottom of the page to appeal to you also know that certain images are appealing to you and may cause you to click on their clickbait. Clickbait is designed to get you to click on them so that the website owner can identify the kinds of things that draw your attention so they can sell that information to advertisers who can put advertising space on their web page. So that's what like means to business. To businessmen, advertising, and marketing agencies. And I want to remind you that social media is not evil. But what do likes mean to innocent people like you and me who just want to use social media to engage our social network? Well, some of us are adults. Some of us are older adults. Some of us are younger adults. But some of us who use social media are adults. We can, <clears throat> we can get from likes on our social media page or pages uh, a sense of meaning and purpose in our life. We can get that from likes. According to Psychology Today, likes give those with a low sense of purpose a feeling of self-esteem. Those with a higher sense of purpose are not affected this way. One young adult that I found on the internet had 900 plus followers, mostly people that she said about herself, I haven't spoken to in years, or I don't even know to begin with. But when this same young woman was out on a date, a first date, she was more interested in how many people had liked what she posted that day than she was in communicating with the person she was on a date with. It's because likes are important to us. They can give us things we need. The problem is, how many of us can name 900 of our closest friends? (laughs) Or think about your social media platform. Are all the people on there people you really know? Are they just strangers? People who don't even care about you? Maybe don't even know you? This young woman said in this article that she wrote that she derived her sense of self-worth through collecting likes and comments from her nine hundred network members, many of whom she did not know, who did not care about her, invisible, impersonal, anonymous people who do not care about her, don't care about what she has to say, they don't care about her life, how they influence her, how they influence her choices, 
how they influence her feelings for herself or her happiness. Some of us who use social media are teens. To teens, likes affect their sense of worth. They, if they do not get the number of likes they need, they begin to not like themselves. <clears throat> These can be affected by their sense of value, or it can affect how they value themselves and other things. If they do not get enough likes, they can come to feel worthless. Likes can affect one's sense of contentment. Not getting enough likes can tell them that they are not enough, not good-looking enough, not creative enough, not interesting enough. The list goes on. Likes can affect one's satisfaction or self-esteem, make people feel validation or isolation, causing sadness, causing depression, leading to thoughts of suicide or even suicidal actions. Along with likes are comments. Such comments mingled with the impersonal nature of social media and a sense of anonymity can become a breeding ground and an avenue that encourages bullying. But how influential is social media in the lives of teens anyway? I mean, come on. They're teens. In a recent survey, 92% of teens say that they are on social media every single day. They engage their social network every single day looking for likes and comments. 24%, that's one in four, are on it almost constantly. And that includes when they're in school, when they're trying to engage with, or when their family is trying to engage with them, they're on social media. I don't know if you've seen it, but I have seen it. And I see it every single day. There are people driving their cars and on social media, actively engaged. I want to remind you that social media is not evil. Social media gives a sense of identity and purpose and it lends approval to what people are doing and saying online. Now, you can just let your imagination go or let your memory cons you know, kind of bring back to you things that you have heard that people are doing in social media. Maybe not you, but other people, teenagers maybe, who are posting things on social media that may not be desirable or beneficial to them. The Association for Psychological Science says that likes on social media give people a sense of approval. That is, that others approve of what they're doing. When we receive more likes, they say, we tend to give more likes. 
So that comes down to us, and we have to evaluate then, what is it that we are liking? And what is it that liking those things tells the people who posted them? Sometimes we know those people. Sometimes we don't. The American Marketing Association questions the responsibilities that markers ha uh, marketers have to understand the ethical issues between social media habit and addiction, noting the fact that marketers have access to details about your life that you cannot imagine they know. Favorite brands, who's on your contact list, their contact information, your social and peer networks, people in your family, your favorite activities, where you work, where you go to school, etc. And they have the ability to cause addiction through manipulating social media. That is, by using social media in a way that manipulates you. Remember, social media is not evil. There's a chemical that our brain secretes. It's called dopamine. It's the thing that makes us feel good when we're happy. Dopamine is the most addictive substance known. We can become addicted to likes or positive social feedback because when somebody likes us, we feel good. The reason we feel good is because we have a physiological response to the psychology that's going on. And our brain produces dopamine, makes us feel good, makes us want more. Advertising and marketing agencies know this. Northrop Grumman, Medium Corporation, The Guardian, BBC, Psychology Today, Advertisers, marketing agencies, they're all concerned about dopamine. If you look up likes and psychology, do a Google search for likes and psychology or the psychology of likes, you will see um, just thousands upon thousands of posts from hundreds and hundreds of companies and associations that are concerned about what social media likes are doing to our brains in causing addictions. They also cause obsessions, mental health issues. Come on. Depression, etc., etc., psychological problems, etc., etc. So why should I talk about all this? Why should I come here on Sunday morning and bore you with all this information. Things that you probably don't want to know about what's going on behind your back. Why would I come here and do that? Why would I spend this, this time when we're supposed to be digging into God's Word and finding what God has to say to us? Why would I take this time to talk about social media? It's because God likes you. 
And God doesn't like you in order to manipulate you or get something from you or get you to do something. God likes you. Well, let's find out why. So grab your Bibles. Yes, this is a sermon. Well, it fills the time that we dedicate to sermons. This is a message. A message that I believe many of us need today. Many of us of all ages. Anyone who is engaged in social media and seeks out having likes or receiving likes has this need. The need for significance. The need to know that there is a meaning to life, that there is purpose, and that there is value in human beings. We all have that need. That is what is satisfied by getting likes in social media. Remember, social media is not evil. But those who use social media can misguide us. Yeah, they can manipulate us. But even those who don't have this self-centered desire to get something from you can mislead us by liking what we post. Mislead us into thinking that the things we reveal about ourselves when we post something to a social media account really tell us something about who we are. They mislead us into thinking that likes give us meaning in our life. That likes reveal to us the purpose for our lives. That likes show us the value our life has for others. And those things are just not to be found there. Because what they do is they reinforce the weaknesses in us. The things we do to ask the question, am I a worthy person? Get reinforced by likes. And what we're doing is trying to define meaning for ourselves. But the fact of the matter is, God has done this for us. And if we are to be emotionally, psychologically, mentally healthy, spiritually healthy, we should get the answers for those questions from a reliable source outside of ourself. Not an Instagram influencer, the prime motivator. So why should we talk about social media at this time on a Sunday morning? Well, it's easy. There is someone out there who knows you better than anyone else. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your successes. He knows your failures, your shortcomings, your ninja skills. He knows your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. He knows who you are and who you long to be. He knows your brightest victories and your darkest thoughts. He knows your greatest virtues your, and the depth of your depravity. He knows how you feel and why. He knows what you think of others and what you think of yourself. 
He knows your victories, your failures, your longing, the heights of your ecstasies, the depths of your despair, the greatest longings and desires in your life. He knows everything about you and loves you. His love for you goes beyond anything you ever imagined or experienced. His love does not depend on how you look or feel. His love for you does not depend on your skill, talent, performance, success, income level, business, acumen, ability, drive, creativity, virtue, compliance, intelligence, achievement. There is no outside standard of measure that he uses to evaluate you and determine the level of love that he will have for you. He just loves you. Because he is love, and you are his child. No matter how lost you feel, his one desire is to see you safely home. So what does God think of you? Well, rather than the opinion of 900 of your closest friends who neither know nor care about you and the majority of whom don't love you, um, there is someone who loves you or, or they don't know or love you the way that God knows and loves you. So let's turn in our Bibles all the way to Genesis 1. And I want to involve you in this message. So what I want to do is ask you, when you find Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, to just stand up and read it for everybody. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Is that neat? Look, I'm going to tell you six things. There are way more. But I'm going to tell you six things that God thinks of you. And there are the six things that I think summarize the way that God feels about us. In Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, we see some really interesting stuff. That God made you in his image. God doesn't say that about anything else in creation. Angels are not made in God's image. Cats and dogs are not made in God's image. Birds and fish and frogs are not made in God's image. Only human beings, only you are made in God's image. You are created by him to bear testimony to his existence. The fact that we're here... And that we can look out and see others 
reveals to us that God is here. So one of the purposes that we have in life is simply to walk through life carrying God's image. We are here to bear testimony to his existence and to represent his rule over the earth and everything in it by joining with him to have dominion over everything created. That's what that passage says. That's what he wants us to do. That's who he made us to be. We are rulers. We're not just more advanced animals. We're just not more highly evolved. We are different. In doing that for us, God gave you a dignity and worth. There is no other thing in all of creation that bears his image. Nothing. Not animals. Not fish. Not birds. Not angels. Just us. So, what does God think of you? He invested himself in you. Who will read Genesis 2, verse 7 for me? It's probably right on the same page. Go for it. Okay. Think about this. God formed you. He formed you. He fashioned you personally. All right? Every other living thing that was there, created by God, was made by his words going out. Let there be fish in the sea. Let there be birds in the air. Let there be cattle and creeping things on the face of the ground. But you, he stopped and made. He fashioned you. He made you the way you are. Now, yeah, sin came in and, and polluted that, but he made you personally involved in who you are. And you came to be alive because he breathed into you. Everything else he created alive. You he fashioned personally and breathed into you life. That breath that goes out from God is his spirit. That's what spirit is. The Holy Spirit is almost always referred to as God breathing or speaking. His power is referred to that way. So God invested power in order to make you. He didn't just create you. Ah, oh, yeah, let there be people. No, he fashioned us. We are the work of his hands. You alone became like him in the moment that he breathed life into you. 
for this reason you are fundamentally different from animals and of more worth and greater dignity. Somebody read 1 Corinthians 15, 39. First Corinthians fifteen thirty nine. We're different. We're unique. We know why we're unique. God made us that way. And the other things, he just spoke and they were all there, but us he fashioned personally. <clears throat> Genesis 1, 26 and 2, 5 tells us, now we already read Genesis 1, 26. Um, Genesis 2, 5 tells us that we have meaning in that we were made to reflect God. We have purpose in that we were created to be his stewards over creation. We have meaning. We have purpose. We have value. Different, distinct from anything else. And all the likes on social media pages can't get you there. The third thing about what God thinks of you is found in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Who will read that for me? Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Thanks, Lynn. What does God think of you? What does this passage tell us about what God thinks of us? Or what he made us to be like? It simply reveals to us. Yes, it's part of a story that explains how things are. But it contains elements that reveal more than just the story. For example... The serpent and the woman interacted with each other. The woman and the man interacted with each other. What this reveals to us is that it's normal, it's right, it's God's design for us to relate to one another. We are social animals. That's why we relate to social networks, to our 
social media accounts. <clears throat> but we were created to have relationships. And later on in that same story, uh, reveals to us number four of the things that God thinks of us. In Genesis 3, 8 through 11, what does that tell us? Genesis 3, verses 8 through 11. Okay, so this is more of that story, but what does it reveal? What does it reveal about how we are made, who we are in God's eyes? What it reveals is this, that not only were we made to have some sort of relationship to one another and to the world that God created, but it tells us that we were made in order to have interaction with God. God came into the garden looking for us. So, from God's perspective, number one, He made us in His image to display who He is and join with Him in ruling over creation to be stewards of what He had made. And secondly, He made us personally. We are of great value to Him and we are unique. Third, in Genesis 1, 26 and 2, 5, I'm sorry, in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, we are relational beings. We are meant to relate to one another. And in Genesis 3, 8 through 11, we are made to relate to God. We are made for those things. That's who we are. Um, that's what God tells us. We share His image, so we have great dignity. We are worthy of respect. Remember that the next time you grow impatient with someone in traffic, that person bears the image of God. And they are worthy of your respect. Just because they're human. That person shares with us the duty to put God's character and nature on display in our lives. That person was personally made by God. And that person was made to be in relationship. Now, the relationship you just established on the road might not be desirable. <laughs> but it is a relationship. <clears throat> and fourthly, that same person is somehow in a relationship with God. We don't know what it is necessarily, but he was made for that purpose. And fifth, in Genesis 3, verses 16 through 20, who will read that for me? Genesis 3, 16 through 20.
you are consequential. What does that mean? It means you're important. You influence the things around you. What you do matters. What you say matters. If you're the serpent and you lie or draw God into question, that matters. If you are a person who responds to a lie and becomes deceived, that matters to you and to other people. And if you listen to people and reject what God has said, that matters. And there is fallout. That's what this reveals to us. That as human beings, we're important in creation. God sees us that way. He made us that way. He responds to us that way. He treats us that way. But the consequences of our actions and beliefs and thoughts and words are not always negative. They can be positive. Hence, Eve became the mother of all living. It was the consequence of an action. And it's positive. And God sees us this way. So when we're going through life, think of the teenager that I explained earlier dealing with their social media account, getting their sense of worth from whether they're liked or not, and being willing to go places and post things that maybe are not so desirable in order to feel consequential, loved, important, unique in order to feel worthy. And lastly, number six, John 3.16. Who will read John 3.16 for us? Or just quote it from memory, that's okay. Yeah, God so loved the world. And we can stop there and say, well, what do you mean by the world? The world's like a big place, and there's lots of things in the world. And sometimes when God says world, he means like this thing that opposes him and this kind of, you know, force that's pushing history forward away from God. Is that what he means by world? Is that what he's talking about here? No, because he defines world here as whoever. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we just read in Genesis, you know, the account of how death entered the world. But we've also read here in John 3.16 how life came to replace death. And if we read Romans 8, especially verse 1, we find out that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the therefore refers to faith. Those who, by faith, have related positively to Jesus Christ. 
for them, there is no condemnation and there is eternal life. So you see, you have great value because God gave. And what did he give? He gave his son. Elsewhere, we see that he gave his son to be propitiation. Big word, big fancy word. What it means is payment, atonement. We can also read in Corinthians that God, who gave his only son for us, basically what it says is, there's no way he's not going to give you every good thing, too. I mean, so here I am, the billionaire that I am, and, and I have ransomed you from some kidnapper, and it cost me everything. But yet my life goes on. Is there anything that I would not also give you after that? I gave everything. How can I, you know, everything that's of huge value I would given for you. How could I not give you something that's of way less value? That's how God sees us. So what? As Alex always says, so what? Well, what is the answer? I think the answer in real life, in practical terms, is stop going to social media for things it cannot give you. Number one. At the same time, why should we single out social media? Because social media is not evil. It just can't give us what we really need and what we tend to desire from it. Now, if we're only going to social media in order to keep in contact with our family and friends, well, that's one thing. It can give us that. It can help us stay in touch. But it cannot give us worth. It cannot tell us the real value of our life. It cannot give us a sense of meaning or purpose. Don't go there for it. Don't go to achievement for it. Don't go to your job for it. Don't get your sense of value. Don't try to find out what God thinks of you by trying harder, saving more, achieving greater, in being influential, giving things away. Don't go there in order to find these things. There's one place to go to find out what God thinks of us, what's actually true about us, what really makes a difference, what causes us to not become suicidal. One place to go. And you've heard me say this for nearly 20 years. Go to God's Word. Go to God's Word. But what I'm not saying is, do your devotions. 
because devotions can't give you those things either. Only what's true can give you those things. So what is the answer? Stop going to social media for what it cannot provide. Social media is a marketing plow, a ploy designed to steal from you, to rob you of your identity, your privacy, your dignity. It is designed to manipulate you and use you against yourself. It is designed to take from you. It is not designed to give to you, which is what God did. God loved you, so he gave. From social media, we learn that we only have worth as potential customers, as purchasers of goods and services. From God, we learn that we have worth as the bearers of his image as those who rule over creation with him, as those who reveal him in his character and nature. From social media, we learn that we only have meaning if we provide others with a living or at least some fleeting pleasure, like when we like their photos or some statement or when we make some statement that causes people to like us. But God says we have meaning in that he personally involved himself in making us. Social media tells us that we do not have any dignity. We are there to be used by others for their purposes or pleasure. But God tells us something different. He tells us that we have dignity and that we are made for relationship. Social media tells us that we only have value as we give money or joy to others. God's word says that we have value above all things and that he was willing to give his son in order to purchase us. So instead of going to social media for things it can't provide, go to God. Go to God for meaning, for purpose, for value of, uh, in life. We have worth because he loves us. We have meaning in that we were specially made. Of all the things that were created, we were specially made to love and to relate to him. We have dignity in that we bear his image. We have value beyond anything, beyond everything put together. So what's my agenda here? Because everybody's aware that everybody's got an agenda. Yeah, you're right. I have an agenda. My agenda is to get you to read God's word. But why? Am I just marketing something? It's the difference between for and from. You see, my agenda is to get you to read God's word because it's good for you, not because I want something from you. What do I get from you? If you read God's word, what do I get from you? What's my motivation? Socrates is cre 
is, is credited with stating, or creating the idea that happiness comes from fulfilling the purpose for which we are made. That's what Socrates thought. Oh, happiness comes from conforming to the image of the perfect. And the more perfectly we reflect the purpose that we were created for, the happier we are. So if we were created uh, to, you know, be progenitors of a race, then we're happy when we have children. If we were created to be creative, then we're happy when we create things or build things. That kind of idea. Socrates said that. And, And from that, we get the idea that humans strive for happiness. You know, one of the things that motivates us is we want to be happy. Yeah, we want the dopamine to flow in our brain. It's true. And Socrates is the place where Western civilization gets its identity. But what about the East? You see, the things we read already were written down a thousand years before Socrates. And they tell us about happiness. And they tell us that Socrates missed something. That behind meaning, purpose, and value for us, there's a person. There's a person out there. God is a person. And I was made to relate to him. And so I want to fulfill my purpose by representing him. So if he loves, I also love. Not because God commands it. I don't love because God commands it. I love because God is love and I bear his image. Therefore, I love. And love does not seek its own. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. It does not seek its own. So ask yourself, what does Pastor Don get from saying, read God's word? What do I get from telling you all of this? I don't get anything. Maybe after I die, after I'm raised to new life with Christ, when I see him face to face, maybe he will say to me, well done. but I don't get anything from you. Except to love me. Nothing of greater value, nothing of greater worth, nothing of greater importance, and all made possible. It's all only possible. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us in order to restore us, in order to return to us the life that was taken away at the garden. For we read it before, in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. 
But he gave his son so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. So we got another song we're going to sing. Yeah, so worship team, come on back up. Yeah, that's what Pastor Alex does, isn't it? While we get ready to sing the last song. Now, I'm not going to pray for us yet, but I'm going to pray for us later. What I want to do, though, is encourage you to pay attention to what this song actually says. Too many of us grab on to meaningless things in order to find meaning. And this song tells us that there is a voice out there that's speaking to us the truth about value, the truth about who we are, the truth about meaning and purpose. So go ahead. I will. 